Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins, fans? Welcome into the Wednesday, April the 11th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, I give you the players I am most concerned about on the Dolphins roster heading into 2018. We recap the 2009 Dolphins draft class, and could adding Baker Mayfield make Ryan Tannehill a better player? All of that and much, much more. But first, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. You can follow the show at LockedOnFins and check out the number one rated blog in the LockedOn Network, LockedOnDolphins.com. And we have the draft pieces up right now. The 11th pick of the draft, part three, Tremaine Edmonds, as we start to dive into the linebackers here a little bit and see what the Dolphins could do with that 11th pick in the first round. And check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. And as I record this podcast, it's about 9 o'clock out here on the West Coast. About 12 hours to go in the Dolphins Twitter bracket challenge, the best follow on Dolphins Twitter. And I have a pretty comfortable lead over CK Parrott for the championship for that. So I assume I'm going to take that title home. And this could serve to be a potential embarrassment if I do not win the title and there's a late upset and I'm talking about the podcast here, jinxing myself in the loss. But I do want to give you guys all a big shout out and a huge special thank you for all the votes and all the thoughts of putting me out there and retweeting that those game matchups and getting my name out there really, really helps the podcast, really helps me out a lot. So I really appreciate you guys doing that. I'm going to continue to pump out the film work, all the gifs. Remember, if you guys are new to the show, every Tuesday during the season, I go over the entire film and drop about 30 to 40 gifs from the game and kind of break down the film there. So for you new followers, if you like the content now, I promise it only gets better as the season goes along. And all you old followers and old listeners, we really do appreciate your guys' dedication to the show. And without any further ado, let's just go ahead and start the show. That's another Miami Dolphins. And one of the things I kept seeing get referenced about, I guess, my own popularity on Twitter, what it's become. As you guys know, I am somewhat new to the Twitter game and I have grown a pretty good following in a short amount of time. But one of the things I keep seeing said on there is how I am blowing positive smoke up everybody's ass because that's what they want to hear. And I want to go ahead and dispel that quickly because I don't believe it to be true for a second. Now, first things first, my predictions for this team, which were published on different websites for the last two years, has been 8-8 eight and eight both years. Now, I oversold them in 2017 and I undersold them in 2016. I would have had a much higher record if Ryan Tannehill was in our center, as I'm sure all of you guys know. But I brought it back to 8-8 eight and eight after he went down and they couldn't even get to that mark. So... Overall, 16 and 16 over the Adam Gaze era of my predictions preseason, 16 and 16 as well. So I'm not putting a positive spin on things because I want to gain any kind of following. I mean, if anything, that's accomplished the exact opposite. I've gotten tons of pushback and tons of really kind of derogatory comments that have caused me to block several people online and those online grouches that choose to be miserable about this outlet we all enjoy that's supposed to bring joy into our life that is the NFL and football and sport and entertainment, all that stuff that goes into the NFL. And 
I have plenty of concerns with this team. I just I truly believe that they have built this team in a way that can go ahead and contend not only in the AFC wildcard picture, but possibly the AFC East too, as the Patriots could possibly start to see themselves take a bit of a step back. But I do have lots of concerns and plenty of concerns that could really derail the seasons. I do admit there's a possibility this team does not click on all cylinders like I expect them to and get themselves back into double-digit wins in the win column. So some of the concerns I have, let's just go over them off the top right here. The first one is Laramie Tunzel. And the more I watched tape on 2017, I expected to see a better player from 2016 because tackle was his natural position, but he was better at guard and as a rookie, despite the fact that the two games he played tackle in 2016, he were two of his best games that year. But this year he regressed. He had a lot of penalties, a lot of pre-snap penalties. He couldn't get to the edge as fast as you would think someone with that good of footwork could get there. And he just got beat a lot. So he wasn't as dominant as you hope he would be. And, you know, the Dolphins got very lucky in him falling to them in the draft that year. But he's got to turn it on and become a better player. Up next, the entire tight end position. A.J. Derby, Marquise Gray, Thomas Duarte. That's not enough. Now, I know we're going to get more reinforcements in the draft. And I do actually like Marquise Gray as an H-back, a guy that can kind of do a little bit of things here, give you 15, 20 snaps a game possibly run the ball in fourth and short, third and short, possibly be a you know wham blocker that sills off the backside on those counter misdirection types of plays. We're going to have Jay Ajayi so much and hopefully Ken Drake going forward, but he's a role player. He's not a big time starter. So there is a potential huge gap at that tight end spot. Up next, Jordan Phillips. And I like Jordan Phillips as a player. He has a lot of upside. He has a lot of flashes of pure dominance where he cannot be blocked. And I'm talking like Vita Vey against Washington State dominant where he is causing three consecutive plays to be blown up on his own accord but that's so inconsistent and so few and far between that I do have concerns about him and the good news is he's in a contract year so hopefully he kind of gets that motivation a little bit but it's just the the amount of snaps that appear to be taken off are always going to be a concern for me up next obviously Andre Branch isn't going to be relied upon to be a heavy snap taker this year but given what the staff has done with their decisions in the past, I worry about that a little bit. I worry they might play Andre Branch too much. I worry they let Andre Branch being on the roster cut into Charles Harris's snap count a little bit too much. I hope it's not the case, but I'm concerned about it. Up next, Kiko Alonso, and I think we all know the problem here. This guy just doesn't move in space very well. He can't cover deep down the field anymore. They have him doing those deep spot drops I've been talking about for three months now where he is in a 10 to 12 yard landmark spot drop and trying to find guys in space, which is just so hard to do in the NFL with how fast it moves. And you're talking about a guy that just doesn't move that well to begin with. It's a tough challenge for him. And right now he's probably the number two linebacker on the depth chart behind Rayquan McMillan. And Rayquan McMillan's a guy that is a rookie that has never played a snap in a regular season game before coming off of an ACL injury. So possibly there's a potential I could see Kiko Alonso getting the number one job. So if that happens, I'm very concerned about it. I think the Dolphins will draft a linebacker relatively high, or at least at some point on the first two days. So I don't think it's going to be stay that way, but I am concerned about Kiko Alonso because he is going to play in 2018. And speaking of linebackers, another guy I have concerns about, Stephon Anthony. And the reason I feel concerned about it is because the Dolphins traded a fifth round draft pick for him. And that makes me think that you have to have a little bit of a plan for him going forward because you don't spend that type of resource on a guy that you just throw away. I mean, fifth round draft picks can be used in packages to trade up. They can be used to acquire those late veterans that are kind of on on the fringe of being cut on the edge of the salary cap there from other teams, potential cap casualties, I suppose was the phrase I was looking for. And those picks are valuable. Valuable. So if, if Stephon Anthony was worth that and they think he's going to play, I'd imagine he gets on the field at least a little bit next year. And just based on some of the things we saw with that one really bad personal foul he had, he got beat by LaShawn McCoy on a wheel route up in Buffalo or just got smoked on that play. Can he play? I, I don't know yet. We'll see. Up next, and this one might be the most concerning or the most shocking 
person on the concerns list, Xavier Howard. And I'm concerned about him because he wasn't always dominant last year. He kind of had a stretch where he came on strong and then he regressed a little bit, but he was still a good player down the stretch, but just not as dominant as we saw when he had those four picks. Obviously, no one's going to play that well for an extended period of time. But he had some rough moments last year, especially with the penalties and being as grabby as he was. Now, you hope that the reason that happened was because he just doesn't quite have the experience yet at the NFL level. He's played two years and he's missed a lot of games because of injuries dating back to 2016. But is he going to be a player that takes the next step or is he going to kind of even out? Because if he evens out, they're going to have to look to replace him with either Tony Lippett or possibly even Cordray Tankersley getting elevated with Bobby McCain on the other spot. And the last guy I have concerns about is one that the Dolphins coaching staff seem to have concerns about in regards to Adam Gaze and Matt Burke saying that it didn't really work out in terms of the way they were in sync with Rashad Jones and TJ McDonald, a player that didn't look hungry to go out and make hits, didn't really do well in coverage, certainly didn't play the center field position very well. I don't know if he can cover in the slot or cover tight ends. I mean, he's an okay player at this point, but man, that contract they gave him was pretty crazy. We've had a couple of guys come on the podcast and talk about that, and I just worry that maybe he's not the player that Dolphins thought they bought when they spent that contract. So that gives me one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players slash positions that concern me on this team going forward. Now that's a lot of places where if it goes wrong, that leaves a lot of snaps where you can have a blown assignment and one big mistake leads to a huge play. It can alter a game. It can alter a season and it has a lot of plays with that many players on the field at one time where you're asking the other guys to potentially pick up the slack if these guys can't get it done. So it, it just, there's a lot of reasons to be concerned. I do look at each of these names on this list and think there's a possibility. Well, not all of them. There's a couple I don't feel this way about, but I look at all of these names and I think there's a potential where they could also be on the other side as well. So I choose to, to take that path and kind of see what it could be if it all goes right, but it still could go wrong. We could be another seven, eight win season. We will see. Let's go ahead and move on from that as the draft is now just 15 short days away and we continue reviewing past draft classes up next, the 2009 draft class from the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Linkful NFL, the best follow on Dolphins Twitter, and at Locked On Fins. And as you listen to this podcast on a Wednesday, April the 11th, we are now 15 days, just a little more than two weeks away from the 2018 NFL Draft, the weekend that we all look forward to, which I recently learned is actually the second highest ratings program the NFL has outside of the playoffs, outside of the Super Bowl, Conference Championship games, all that stuff. You guys get the idea. I didn't realize it was that popular. I mean, I knew it was popular, but I didn't realize it was that popular, bigger than regular season games for the NFL. So the Dolphins... You know, they have this this narrative about them being terrible in the second round of draft classes, not drafting well for a long time. And as we go over these draft classes, you're going to go back and say, yeah, but that was the case a while ago. Recent ones have picked up and gotten better, but I think these past classes can kind of give you a better perspective on how some of these recent classes have been a lot better. You go back to yesterday's episode, the 2008 draft class was pretty pitiful, and they had the first pick in the draft at every round there that year. So, Oh, and not even to mention the fact that they won the division that year. So it just kind of goes to show that, you know, not everything is as it seems all the time. Just just give you an idea of some of the Dolphins draft blunders in the past and how bad it actually has been in the past. Let's go ahead and start with 2009 today. The first round, pick number 25, Vontae Davis, cornerback out of Illinois. We famously know that he had to call grandma when they traded him for a second round draft pick in 2012, I want to say. And he never made it back. And he was with Indianapolis for a couple of years and became a really good cornerback there, but has had injuries recently. I would say that draft pick did not work out for the Dolphins just because they had to move on. And I think it was more of a character issue. Now, if he had had those good years in Indianapolis in Miami, the draft pick would have been 
more than well worth it. In the second round, that's where they kind of fell apart at pick 44, Pat White. We all know how that ended up and went down. He did not survive very long in the NFL, became a bust after two or three years and didn't play any more football. And then at pick 61, Sean Smith was a good player for the Dolphins, an adequate starter and eventually kind of became a better than adequate starter, moved on to Kansas City and had better years there as well. So Dolphins get a couple of good cornerbacks in that draft class, don't work out here, go on elsewhere and work out at their new homes. In the third round, receiver out of USC, Patrick Turner. I was excited for this guy, but he just never amounted to anything at all. In the fourth round, pick 108, the best pick of that class in terms of hits production for the Miami Dolphins, was Brian Hartline, wide receiver out of Ohio State. Now, I remember he had some big plays early in his career in those first two years, and then he started becoming more of a reliable, every-down starter type of receiver that caught a lot of passes and had a couple of thousand-yard seasons for the Miami Dolphins with Ryan Tannehill. So, Brian Hartline, the best pick in that draft. In the fifth round, they go John Nalbone, the tight end out of Monmouth, and then Chris Clemens, four picks later at 165, the free safety out of Clemson. And Clemens was a, what's the word I want to use here, replacement level starter. He was okay for a while and gave the Dolphins just a bit of security on the back end, not a ball a, a ball hawk or a playmaker or a big time pro bowl type caliber player year in and year out but just a guy that was steady for a long time the Dolphins eventually tried to upgrade over him but they had a hard time doing that so Clemens kind of has a soft spot in my heart for that because he was a good player for a few years there for the Miami Dolphins in the sixth round offensive tackle Andrew Gardner out of Georgia Tech and I want to say he spent a lot of time on that fringe practice squad range didn't really make an impact in games for the Dolphins ever in the seventh round JD Folsom inside linebacker out of Weber State he never amounted to anything either so this draft class you know, not really a whole lot to write home about. Brian Hartline is your best pick out of the class in terms of overall Dolphins production. Chris Clemens had some good years as well, but that's not going to get it done for you in terms of building a long-term winner. So the 2009 draft class overall, just about as bad as 2008 draft class, probably even worse when you consider the fact that you didn't get a Kendall Lankford out of it or even, even a Jake Long for the three years that he was as dominant as he was. So 2008-2009 draft class is not very good. No surprise as to why the Tony Sperano and Bill Parcells and Jeff Ireland era did not work out as those couple of couple of years in a row their offseason acquisitions just did not quite work out for them so that's 2009 class we'll do more as the couple of the week, next couple of weeks goes on here I'm not going to do them every day we'll just kind of lead it up to 2017 and kind of review last year's draft class even though I don't think they you can put the jury out on that class just yet but we'll go ahead and do it anyway we have one last segment here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast talking about Baker Mayfield Ryan Tannehill in the quarterback position as I sort of break my silence on Baker Mayfield and his potential to be a Miami Dolphin in 2018, here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL, the best follow on Dolphins Twitter and Locked On Fins. On the last segment here, I wanted to get into something I haven't talked about a whole lot. And I don't want to say I'm breaking the silence, but I kind of am in regards to Baker Mayfield, just because I never really thought the Dolphins had a chance to draft him. I still do believe the quarterbacks are going top four, all four of them, if not top five, and if not top six. So I think the Dolphins, if they want to get a quarterback, they'd have to trade a lot and give a lot up. And I saw a tweet from my good buddy Josh Hoots today on Twitter talking about how the Dolphins could have an ideal situation if they drafted Baker Mayfield because it might motivate Ryan Tannehill to play better and bring some real competition into the room. And I kind of thought about that and it kind of went and coincided with something I talked about on the Rockpile Report podcast, a Buffalo Bills podcast. They have me on today talking about quarterbacks as they are both just clamoring for the opportunity to even draft a quarterback they feel good about because they have had it a lot worse than the Dolphins have had in recent years with Ryan Tannehill. So we kind of talked about that weird area where 
this group of quarterbacks that aren't necessarily elite that are going to carry your team to victories. And the reason we brought that up was because I mentioned it with Josh Rosen, who went six and seven this last year and actually lost a game to the Memphis Tigers of all teams on the road. So is Josh Rosen the kind of guy that can elevate the talent around him regardless of who it is and get them into the quote-unquote winner circle, as I hear a lot of people talk about Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield's ability to do that. And if Josh Rosen can't do that in UCLA, can he do it in Buffalo with an offensive line that has now lost Richie Incognito and Eric Wood and Cordy Glenn and a group of receivers that is one of the worst in the NFL and a star running back in LaShawn McCoy, but that offense in the passing game is really, really bad. So can he come in? and make this offense click, and will he elevate the play to get those guys playing better? Because if he can't, why are you going up to draft that guy? So that kind of brought us into a conversation about where if you don't have Brady, Rodgers, or you know Breeze, one of those guys that are really once in a generation for not just every team, just for a few teams. I mean, some teams never get a crack at a guy like that. Look at the Jets. They've been trying for, for decades to replace Joe Namath, and it quite hasn't happened for them yet. So you have to kind of take it into consideration that if you have a player like Tannehill, who I consistently argue is a top 10, top 12 quarterback, with him, you can do a hell of a lot worse. And if the opportunity presents itself to get a guy that you think can be Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees, as I keep on harping on, you can do it. And I would be fully supportive of that. And with Baker Mayfield, I think he's going to be the best quarterback in this class. I do think that Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen have tremendous upside and could potentially be even better if everything went right for them. But I just think that Baker Mayfield is the safe bet in terms of being the best quarterback in this class. And I do think he will be. And just kind of to talk about what I like about his game, because I really haven't mentioned it a lot because I'm typically on the defense talking about how Ryan Tannehill is this team's quarterback and how he deserves to be the team's quarterback. But in what Baker Mayfield can do, he is sharp pre-snap. He can quickly identify what the defense is going to do and put the offense in a position to attack the defense according to what they are going to do. So he's very sharp, very in tune with the offense, very in sync with his offense and his wide receivers, and very understanding of the game plan that his coach and he put together on Friday and Thursday nights before those games on Saturday. So he's very cerebrally sound, a good, solid approach to the game. His feet, his hips, Everything on his body and his mechanics is in line and it looks pretty. The way he can manipulate defenses with his feet by kind of altering his launch point. What I mean by that is you want to have your shoulders and your feet squared to each other when you're going to make a throw. And if you kind of whip your hips and flip them in a certain direction, that's going to move the defense because they're going to follow your trajectory of your shoulders and your hips and where it's all aligned to and chase the ball that way. So you can flip it and then flip back quickly and move the defense before they have a chance to readjust. You can snap the ball into a tight window and he's a very accurate passer from all platforms. So he has the ability to do that both from inside and outside of the pocket. So I like Baker Mayfield a lot. I don't think his athleticism is going to allow him to create much during chaos in the NFL. Like when things get off script, he can do a little bit of that stuff, but I think it's going to be harder for him at the next level. He's not a threat to run. He's not going to outrun anybody for big rushing yardage totals. And he might make a couple of bad decisions here and there and have a tough time getting out of the way of heavy blitzes, but that's the case for a lot of quarterbacks. So I am very high on Baker Mayfield as a quarterback, but where do you fit him in with Ryan Tannehill on the roster if you're of the belief that I am that Ryan Tannehill is a franchise quarterback for the next seven to eight years for this team? Where does Baker Mayfield make sense in this quarterback room? And it brings an interesting point to the surface when you talk about kind of what Ryan Tannehill has had or has done in his career when he's been up against adversity in his career. This is something I talked about with Josh Hoots. If you guys aren't familiar with him on Twitter, he is at Hoots. That's H-O-U-T-Z. Very good guy. Very good follow. 
we talked about it a little bit on Twitter on Tuesday night as I record this and talked about how when Ryan Tannehill had the two biggest moments of adversity in his career, I would say 2014 when Joe Philbin inexplicably put the message out there that he preferred Derek Carr over Ryan Tannehill, Mr. Derek five yards per pass Carr over Ryan Tannehill at the time, which is never a good way to support your starting quarterback. Once he put that out there, Ryan Tannehill goes on a stretch of games where he has like a 30-yard rush every single game for four weeks in a row, where he has like 13 touchdowns and two picks and averages 280 yards per game. Just has a dominant stretch of games, and the Dolphins get back to their winning ways that season in that stretch after Tannehill plays a little bit fired up, starting with that game in Oakland against the Raiders, or I should say in London against the Raiders, as the Dolphins dominated that game, and Tannehill had a big day as well. So... That stretch, he was dominant with adversity. And then you go forward to 2016 when the team was 1-4. and four. He was struggling. That Tennessee Titans game had just happened where he got pummeled after a bad showing on primetime on Thursday night the week before in Cincinnati. So back-to-back bad games, not a great start for Tannehill. He looks somewhat punch drunk after that game, and it looks like his career in Miami might be over. And then what happens? He goes on a very dominant stretch, wins seven out of eight games, has a passer rating over 100 for those eight games, is dominant on third down, makes a bunch of big plays for the team, and just gets the Dolphins in the winner's circle over and over and over again. And that was in response to you know facing a bit of adversity where he was not necessarily considered the starting quarterback long-term in Miami. So if they get a high-round draft pick at quarterback, and it could only benefit Ryan Tannehill from the sense that he might actually just play better because he has played better in the past when he's had adversity. So that's definitely something to think about. But I do want to say, if they spend a high draft pick on a quarterback and Tannehill balls out, I don't want to hear a damn thing about trading Ryan Tannehill. If he plays well again and plays at a very high level, gets his team back to the playoffs, he's your quarterback. Just deal with it and quit trying to replace him. All right, guys, that's going to do for today's podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, and check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. You can follow me on Twitter, at NFL. You can follow the show, at Locked On Fins, and follow our flagship show, at Locked On NFL, both on Twitter and Facebook. And check out the number one rated blog in the Locked On Network, LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you tomorrow on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.